Welcome friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton. And each week we have the pleasure of talking with someone who is building a more humane world from the inside out. And we have that very guest again this week, Jeff Gibbs from up in Michigan, a writer, composer, producer that you might have run across if you happen to see Planet of the Humans uh, anytime in the last year. Welcome, Jeff. What a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Dick. It's good to be here. And uh, yeah, I've been quiet the last few weeks, so it's good to um, have a, some conversation and uh, think about where we're at and where we're going. And uh, and you're in the Ozarks or close to the Ozarks? Yes, we're uh, right on the Missouri River, which is sort of going to start the Ozarks area just from Jefferson City South. So we claim it a, a little bit. Yeah, the... Uh, that's good. And I'm in northern Michigan, uh, not in the uh, upper peninsula, but in the northwest corner of the lower peninsula near the um, Sleeping Bear Dunes National Park. It's a giant um, cottonwood tree that mm. um, people that own this property wanted to cut down. <laughs> to me, it wow. makes the whole place. But um, I've decided to um, do as much as I'm able out in uh, the natural world, I guess, as we call it. Um, and I think, um, you know, as you've probably talked, about before we've we've really lost a lot of our connections with the uh, uh, the planet and I was just thinking this week you know one of the biggest in meditating on the film and the impact um, I think even those of us who kind of get it we realize that the, the world is in real trouble and that's unlikely that technology brought to us by industrial civilization will will save the planet but I, I look at this time we're in as kind of like a gap you know, like a gap year or a gap decade, or we don't know how long it is, but I've become more and more convinced over the recent decades and years that the living world is in deep trouble. In fact, if you were to say, well, when does collapse begin? Um, the collapse of the natural world is well, well underway, but we're still kind of okay, right? Many people are suffering and many people can't make ends meet, but generally most of us are comfortable to very comfortable um, if you're listening to this podcast, almost for sure. If you can afford the gear that you and I have, you're probably you're among the elite of the planet. This is this in between time. You know, if you ever see these these charts where something, one of the most difficult things um, probably to understand when you're inside it is that when something reaches its peak, reaches its peak. Yes, that's the, the end. Oh, the end. The apex. Oh, right. That's the beginning of the end. The apex is the beginning of the end. So that that's just I I guess I'm just saying we've got a lot of think of to think about we humans and Planet of the Humans was kind of an introduction to things we ought to be thinking about and an attempt to show um, or my discovery really over a, a period of a decade or two that uh, the story we're in we've been in with the environmental movement is the wrong story, which is very sh shocking to people like me that really didn't know the backstory that you uh, exposed in the film. And, you know, I, I don't have solar panels or I don't have uh, wind going here on my property, but uh, um, I, I didn't know how significant the problem was 
in terms of the, I think you called it the, the eco-industrial complex, which I hope we get into here. If you haven't seen the film, uh, we put, decided to quietly put it back up on um, YouTube for free. And um, last we checked, I think uh, the weekend before last, there were 18,000 uh, views in a couple of days, which is mm -hmm. not the millions we were getting you know, in the first few days, but that's a lot for a film after it's been out for a year. So it's free on YouTube right now. You, you can, um, it's, it's available on uh, Amazon Prime, on uh, you know, YouTube Studios, on you know, several different places where you can rent or buy it mm -hmm. or watch it for free on YouTube. So watch the movie, but basically, you know, there's two aspects. There's kind of showing that we're being lied to, you know, that solar panels and wind turbines are just another form of industrial civilization. They don't displace it. They don't displace fossil fuels right? in the way we've been taught. But the thing behind that that's um, not talked about enough is it's showing how we're being lied to. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so when somebody says, oh, well, you know, that's, that's, they've got better technology now, you know? Um, well, first of all, some people complain because we started the movie, you know, when I, at the beginning of my journey, but we go up to the present when the lies are very similar to the same. Um, but the fact that, that we're willing to right now, they're destroying um, thousands of acres of desert. They're bulldozing it. They're going to leave what they can leave, you know, so it'll look like there's something green, but they're removing all of the tortoises so they can come through there and, and, and cut this, you know, the greenery down and then they're going to try and move them back if you know it's endangered tortoises they're, they're, we're experimenting on nature all over the planet um but the fact that we would do this in the name of saving the planet the fact that we would burn trees in, in the form of biomass in the name of saving the planet um, the fact that nobody knows we didn't include this in the movie that there's an area if you look at the, the land use in the United States, the same volume of land is being used to grow biofuels for cars mm -hmm. as to grow food for humans as opposed to for cows. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's also, aside from the technology, evidence we've lost our way that profits and technology have taken the lead um, and replaced ecology. And the third part is, even if you know, I bought an electric car. I did get my house wired for solar panels. I couldn't afford them. Um, and I wind up, you know, moving, but I, you know, I built this wilderness cabin and got it completely wired for the solar life, but it's the opportunity that's lost. You know, we just lost the opportunity to build on what we learned during the pandemic, which was we could stay home more. We could get by with less. And, you know, maybe it might be better for it's, you know, we don't want to have it be this extreme, um, so the opportunity cost where we're putting all of our resources and time and energy during this critical moment into technology rather than into saying, don't we need to reinvent how we're living and live a completely different way? And you mentioned the word humane, humane and I'll, I'll let you get to your questions. But the, the ironic thing is, I think nature comes first. Nature has to come first because we are extra and we it's painful to have to say that if nature's not doing well, we're not going to do well. And that's what I'm worried about is that not only do I care for all these living creatures, um, you know, just one example is 97% of all mammals are now humans or, or cows, 3% oh, wow. for everything else. Oh my. In the last 50 years, two thirds of the wildlife on earth has been destroyed in our lifetimes. 
in our environmental movement. And we're in this in-between period where this, as this cycles around to humans, as the fossil fuels either fall away or we stop using them, what are 8 billion people going to do to keep warm? What are the millions of people in the Southern US discovered what happens when you don't have the right energy and, and you get a cold snap? Mm-hmm. So this is what I'm worried about, that we have unforeseen um, consequences up the road that are going to really, not only, nature's already being punished and I think, um, we've got this vague feeling somehow we're going to escape it or the worst it's going to be, it's going to be warmer. You know, you tell humans, especially upper middle class white humans that it's just going to be warmer. I mean, part of us goes, Oh no, the polar bears. Another part of us goes really sunny, warm every day. Right. right. Oh, Oh oh, yeah. That's terrible. That's terrible. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard that more than once. I used to say, well, if you were going to have global freezing, everybody would be a lot more alarmed. Oh yeah. Does anyone talk about, Overpopulation. I know Paul Ehrlich. Um, okay, good. Predicting the population bomb, and and uh, Mr. Malthus and uh, Jane Goodall, mm-hmm. David the Nature guy. Um, I'm picturing his face, but you know the uh, the famous British nature. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, that does um, all the shows. Yeah, it does all. Um, uh, guess who had a chart showing the population? going up and up and up and up in his movie. Al Gore. That would be Al Gore. Yeah. Guess who wrote a book called Maybe One? I didn't catch the name. Maybe One. Maybe is the name of a book. One. I didn't, I never heard of it. By Bill McKibben. Oh. Thing that we did in Planet of the Humans that none of them had done and the population, uh, people concerned about overpopulation have never done is that we... Uh, I was very careful to talk about population and consumption. And I thought that, that somebody would notice instead of attacking us for daring to mention that the earth might not be able to handle seven going eight going on nine billion people. We're so twitchy and there's such an attack squad out there mm-hmm. that nobody bothered to notice that that for the first time, as opposed to Al Gore, who only mentioned population. Mm-hmm. Or David Attenborough, that's what I was trying to think of, who talks about population but not consumption. I actually think it's unethical to only talk about population. Mm-hmm. So that said, here's what Mr. Malthus and um, Paul Ehrlich and everyone else has gotten wrong. They've been asking the wrong question. If they would have only asked the right question, they could have gotten it right. Mm, okay. Gee, I'm, I'm ready. How many humans can the planet sustain is a terrible question. Um, Dick, how many grizzly bears could your neighborhood could sustain? Mm-hmm. Zero. How many would you be comfortable with hanging around your neighborhood? Zero. How many, if, you know, if your local town has 50,000 people, how long, how many grizzly bears could live off those 50,000 people and your dogs and cats and the, you know, so, you know, the, the better question is how many large dangerous omnivores belong in the landscape, belong in the ecosystem, belong in a, in a bioregion or a continent. And we're way more violent, dangerous, and consume far more than a grizzly bear. So 
they got a couple things really wrong. First of all, as I mentioned, population and consumption have to be talked about together. Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, they got wrong. The question that we should be asking is how many humans and at what level of consumption can the planet endure? Make sure the and two numbers go together. The two go together, but they each are important. Population is our current population as you, you, is probably an order of magnitude beyond what the biological care, capacity of the planet can endure. Can we wrangle more stuff using the millions of years of stored fossil fuels we have been? Can we wrangle more food, more energy, more clothing, more shelter from this degraded dying planet? Yes. But see, you see how we're asking that wrong? Mm -hmm. is you know how much how much of our mother can we keep carving off of her before she's dead right you know that's um so we can probably keep taking little chunks off for a long time but eventually that catches up with us so you know moving forward this is what we need to learn about we're imagining that feeding humans is, is relatively easy actually do you know what the number of humans on earth was before there was agriculture you mean like 10,000 years ago? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to guess certainly less than a million. I, three million is the number, last number I had. So. Oh, really? Three million? Uh, that's yeah. more than I would have thought. But I'm, I think most people are shocked the other way. Like, you know, I had somebody guess 300 million. But the agriculture, uh, when you actually look up what's one of the most destructive things that's done to the earth, it's by far agriculture and it's, you know, beautiful twin logging or deforestation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was hoping to have this discussion and, and things were shut down. We didn't travel around to just begin to ask new questions about what does that mean that there were 10 times fewer people before we got addicted to fossil fuels? So that's what Malthus got wrong. And I, and I don't know Paul Ehrlich, but I believe that he got wrong. Paul Ehrlich looked at a planet that was already stressed from pollution you could already see the deforestation, the whaling, the, um, you know, people were starving in North America 150 years ago for lack of food before we got the fossil fuel revolution really took hold. People were starving. Paul Ehrlich underestimated our human willingness to pillage the rest of the planet to take care of ourselves. And I think everybody's underestimated that. So if you ask how many humans can the planet endure, you know, the plant's not enduring the numbers that we have now. Right. And if you, if you ask the consumption level, the, the, what we showed in the movie uh, is that the consu our consumption per person on average has gone up 10 times since we got hooked on fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. So the population and consumption together is a hundredfold increase. And mm -hmm. I first heard this not because I decided to multiply these together. I heard it from Jeffrey Sachs from Columbia University, one of the world's most esteemed professors on environmental and uh, economic issues. And I was just floored that he would say at this lecture I went to, oh, yeah, there's 10 times more people, there's 10 times more consumption, um, and we're on schedule to go up four times beyond that, which would be a 400-fold increase. And the planet is dying from everything we're doing the, you know if you and if you ask he says if you ask about the corals 
Now, this is interesting because the corals are often just climate, 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 right? But he says they're being hit by everything, by overfishing, by tourism, uh, by pollution. And this is, if you look it up, even our human sunscreen that we oh, wear definitely. when we swim. Her, so, so he gave this very holistic approach. He himself combined population consumption into this one larger economy in a mere 200 years. And then he started talking about technology could save us. And that's, that was actually the moment when I was like, okay, this is going to be a lot harder than I think. Cause at that time I thought, Oh, just make a movie about, you know, the bees are in trouble and you know, are the butterflies in trouble and look at all these invasive species and logging. I thought, okay, I'll just make that movie. <laughs> but I realized here are people who knew that truth, but were saying, you know, instead of, saying we need to deal with this population and consumption that's gone through the roof and this industrial civilization uh, will just have a different kind of industrial civilization. I was like, mm -hmm. well, you're hitting on uh, two very sensitive uh, changes. I mean, limiting population and uh, limiting my uh, so-called freedom to uh, have what I want. How are you going to get oh, people use, to change? Did I? Don't you notice? What? I didn't use the word limiting. You know, the. No, um, I did. Be, no, I yep. did. Yes. Yep. No, and I'm intentionally use it because you didn't. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> I would, you know, and again, please see the movie and, and um, make your own opinions. Um, you can. Um, Go to our website and email me your thoughts. Um, or, you know, you can let Dick know. I, I can, hopefully people can comment to you. But this, in hindsight, we wish we'd included more perhaps about, you know, I mean, probably not. But, yeah, it is a sensitive spot because people didn't even hear in the what was in the movie and they started attacking. That's a reason why we rounded it around to the capitalism that's in the way of even dealing with what's the way to make a loving, humane, caring plan where everyone is taken care of and that we all celebrate living locally and living with less and enjoying the fact that we might have a salamander in our yard, hmm. you know, or some monarchs that, that need us or some bees or some of the, the birds that are disappearing. Um, you know, we didn't get to have those discussions um, in some forms because they were just like, oh, you mentioned population, Malthus, and population control. And it's like, you know, just please watch the movie and look at that chart. And, and picture this. If our baseline of human population for 10,000 years was less than a billion, that's like a line that's going to go where? From, you know, the... I have a hundred yard long driveway. It's going to go from the beginning of my driveway to where I'm sitting. If that line is a foot tall, then since 1800, that one brick level, one foot tall is now a stack of bricks, 100 feet tall. And since I first put this together, it's probably actually gone up 50% or who knows how much since then, because actually, um, the research says in the last, I think, 20 or 30 years, our, our in recent decades, our global economy has quadrupled. 
Mm. So let's, but let's just take the hundred, you know, so it's, it's went from one brick to a hundred bricks tall. What in nature can stay at that level? You know, 10,000 years and we were still degrading the planet. You know, we were still agriculture and even some early humans were, you know, wiping out, helping to wipe out at least the megafauna. You know, there, there's evidence of, of climate change from the Roman era. There's evidence of lead uh, pollution around the parts of the planet um, through the atmosphere from early iron and metal smelting. There were, uh, this, there was a greater diversity of giant megafauna in the U.S. prairie across much of the U.S. before humans got here. You know, I don't know if people know that there's, there were 12-foot tall giant ground sloths. There were automobile-sized armadillos. There were camels. There were wild horses that were wiped out. Uh, there were llamas. There were the um, mastodons and mammoths, of course. Just on and on and on. So humans have been changing the planet for a long time. So, so anyways, in sum, this was a discussion I want to continue to have and will have in the next works. But, And I think a lot of people have had this discussion, but just, you know, I'm just reacting to some of the uh, the attacks and the environmental media where, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, you can't. And My guest today is Jeff Gibbs, a composer, a writer, producer. Most recently, uh, his documentary, Planet of the Humans, which is available uh, for free on YouTube and various other platforms. And let me ask you a question. It feels to me, and maybe your audience a question too, is that I'm sure I, it feels like the bloom has come off the idea that, that there, there's green technology. It feels like something's shifted a little bit where Joe Biden, who I voted for and supported and pushed for, but you know, they're, they're announcing these hundreds of billion do of dollars for electric cars and for solar panels. But I just feel like the um, something's changed in the air where people are not as much like, you know, I don't uh, you know, the uh, groups are still pushing it. But um, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, I don't have a, a good pulse. And personally, I was not on a bandwagon. In fact, when your movie first, we saw it a year, when it first came out a year ago, and it was shocking. And then it, it sort of went to the background of my thought during COVID. And then back around, I watched it again uh, recently. And uh, it has so gotten my attention, uh, particularly the biomass. And, and I hope that we spend a little more time on, on the biomass sure, today. talk about that. But it, quite frankly, the, the thing that hit me the hardest was a, a moment, just a moment of your graph in the middle of the movie where you did show the population growth and then the consumption. And I had never seen the consumption next to the population in that skyrocketing uh, hockey stick is even sharper angle than a hockey stick um, that goes, you know, it's just, it just, I, I had to stop it and rewind it and look at it again and look at it again. And I just, I wanted to, I wanted to see that for five minutes <laughs> just to let that oh, wow. consumption sink in that uh, even though let's say Al Gore 
talks about CO2 and, and, and 350, uh, Kendry McKibben and all that. They talk about CO2, but, but CO2, isn't that almost a direct result of consumption? And consumption and, and population, you know, they, yeah. this is, let's not talk about it in everything we do. And this is why I'm, I've been struggling the last few months because I need to do a book a series and <laughs> another film or two or three, because there's so much to explicate. Yeah. And in some ways it's all in plan of the human. So, you know, it's, but it passes very quickly, but yeah. So the um, climate change. Yeah. If there were just to do a thought experiment, um, if there were 7 million people burning fossil fuels, we wouldn't be at this, at this point. Right when there were only hundreds of millions of humans and people were burning wood, your life expectancy in a city was very small because of disease mm -hmm. and because of smoke. Mm -hmm. Even today, you know, chimneys are a recent invention. And we talk about consumption. There's so much, you know, it just passes fast. But even today, people are being sick and dying from burning wood, you know, all over the planet. But, you know, you try and trade that out for solar panels, which is a bit problematic um, because like here we have this thing called October, November, December, January, February, and March where there's not much sun. <laughs> but you, you create another round of problems. And so what I'm aware of before we get back to climate is that there are many people, you know, right now there's... Um, an encampment at, at uh, Thacker Pass in Nevada. And there was just a story for the first time the New York Times covered this. You know, it's this is land that was affected by humans, but it's been let go. And it's it's this last refuge of the wild, of the biodiversity of the planet. And they're going to open a lithium mine there. And if they do this, they might be opening dozens of lithium mines in this area. You know, it's a tribal area as well. There's a tribe there that's gonna be impacted. Um, so every one of these things that were, you know, it's kind of like energy or impact laundering. So if, if I was able to plaster my house with solar panels and uh, pretend I'm not using fossil fuels, what you see in the movie are, you know, all the mining and smelting and manufacturing. And uh, what I couldn't put in the movie is concrete is basically immense quantities of fossil fuels, not even just to heat it up, but to actually react with the, you know, the limestone and the material, you, you have to put carbon and coal right in the furnace and iron the same thing, steel, the same thing, aluminum, the same thing via these anodes that, that feed the copper. So, uh, you know, aluminum, uh, okay, lighter, more environmentally friendly than steel. Well, it uses several times more energy. Graphite's being mined in Africa. Um, Oh, well, we're not getting our graphite from there. Yes, but part of the demand for graphite is being met from uh, by children and women and, and uh, men working in these slave-like conditions. Um, rare earths. Oh, we're not going to buy them from China. Okay, but the market, is, demand is being met. Um, yeah, we're going to try and fix climate change, but, but even climate. I just looked up a study that deforestation as, a, as one of the prime drivers of climate change has probably been underestimated. And you can see through human history, you want to talk about like uh, droughts and climate effects. There's an old saying that civilization, forests precede civilization and deserts follow. And there's pretty good evidence that most of the areas, many of the areas around the planet that are degraded or 
Uh, let's pick the Middle East, a formerly a very densely forested, lush mm. part of the planet. Mm. Um, agriculture and human civilization has contributed to changing the climate. Um, we're all going to stop eating eat less meat. Well, rice growing is one of the top few causes of methane emissions. You know, I did some calculations. If we all took all the meat growing areas and uh, just switched to, if we switched the soybean production to food for humans, it would feed maybe another billion people, but we're planning on adding another couple billion more, even as we say, oh, it's slowing down. So anyways, it's just, it's a, a lot of stuff to spool out. Um, consumption, you know, look what's happened in recent years in our lifetime. You know, it's, it's um, you know, these single serve coffee cups? Oh my. Mm -hmm. They didn't exist a couple decades ago, right? Right, right. Now they, there's enough produced, I think, every year or day or some, some period to, to go to the moon and back. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. You know, microplastics didn't exist mm -hmm. a few decades ago. The micro fleece and all these micro, these very fine. Uh, now they're found in every bit of the planet. Mm -hmm. um, so we just keep piling on new and new things. Um, and so that's when you ask, you know, well, what about how many humans can the planet sustain? Well, yes. And I'm, I'm showing my hand go up in the air. What we're failing to ask is how many can the planet endure? Because as our human presence, population time consumption goes up towards the moon, there's a, there's a commensurate hole being dug into nature. Mm -hmm. And we don't know, we don't experience that because I don't have to go get my food. I don't have to go catch some birds or catch some fish to make a living. But I, let me tell you right now, if the system fell apart and everybody went out to go fishing for their food, mm -hmm. I don't know if you have people, you know, down in your forest that, you know, um, we love to pick the wild greens, right? In the spring, some of us. Mm. What if everybody suddenly there was the food stores weren't open? We all ran out mm -hmm. and grabbed the wild greens. I mean, there wouldn't even be, you know, this, they'd be all gone in a day. Yeah. And even in northern Michigan. And then when the winter came and there wasn't any uh, gas or, or anything, electricity, uh, how many trees would survive the first winter? You know? <laughs> I'm actually excited talking about this because, and I know some people might it's might feel like, oh, this is depressing or what's the solution? But the solution is to come to grips with how far, how much trouble we're in so we can make a real plan, you know? And so one of the things that we, um, you know, I, I might talk about in the next film or, or in the book is we know what happens when people run out of um, trees. We know it from recent history. So. In Greece, when they had the economic crisis um, a few years ago, yeah. mm -hmm. people in Athens and the other cities all began to run out to just chop down the national forest. It was a it was a huge nightmare for the national forest, and worse, the cities were becoming uninhabitable because wood smoke. Unfortunately, you know, I burned wood for many many years, but you know, thinking I was being green, but it's actually dirtier than way dirtier than natural gas and uh, plenty dirtier than coal. We know that in, uh, even in a what seems like a more temperate 
climate in um, Egypt and in uh, Syria and other places where people have been desperate. They just they they chop up the furniture and burn the books to keep warm. If somebody comes to your house and says, oh, look, you're going to have a fire uh, because your wiring is all messed up. Um, you don't say, OK, well, how long do I have? Yeah. <laughs> what you a say, great I think example. I need to get that fixed right away. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's, you know, we don't know how long we're given. I think it's more like years than it is decades, honestly, but it could be decades. I don't think it's centuries at all, um, you know, because this pandemic was just a warning shot. So it's, but there's such a momentum and such a collective blind spot. We don't even have a word for, I'm, I'm left saying things like population times consumption. Well, what the, there's no like eloquent, exquisite word for our total human impact on the planet. Mm. If I say the total human apocalypse, you know, that may be too biblical for some people, you know, but mm -hmm. just we don't have a commonly accepted phrase. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the Anthropocene, which okay. is kind of clinical, and it's like, you know, so we have so much work to do um, with all of this territory. So that's, uh, you know, um, with we don't even have a word for what we, uh, <laughs> we can say, you say climate, and everybody knows exactly what you mean right now. You say population time, consumption time, capitalism times industrial civil. Uh, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this is where I think is our blind spot is we we have been absorbed in these fantasies about energy, about food production, about, oh, we could just switch. We don't need plastic. You know, I hate plastic. You know, I mean, I, I you know, I just like get sick at the idea of all the plastic being generated by the pandemic. But uh well, we'll just switch to hemp, right? Mm, hemp. Yeah, the new uh, saving uh, plant of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> but if you actually look into hemp growing, it takes a tremendous amount of fertilizer, a tremendous amount of land, a tremendous, often pesticides. And the same thing with cotton. Actually, uh, it can be so difficult to grow cotton because cotton is a very, very nutrient-intensive crop. Mm. And it's also a very disease-ridden crop. So to grow it organically takes a lot of resources um, and a lot of energy. So, but there's not enough planet, you know, what, where are we going to find? First of all, I don't think there's enough planet. If we, you know, could, even if we said we're not going to eat, we're going to dedicate all the land to growing cotton and hemp to replace plastic. Is there even enough land on the planet to do that? Oh. We're not, Here's what um, Stephen Running from the University of Minnesota told me that wasn't in the film. We're basically using one million years of stored resources, stored ancient sunlight every single year to keep this civilization going. Mm. So turn that around. The last time we were using, we were somewhat limited by the yearly solar input to the planet in the form of green things that provided food and energy we were getting by by his estimate a million times less resources because it's not just energy it's it's just you know it's everything that this is underpinning if i you see indigenous people or, or tribal people in the jungle and they've got a t-shirt 
I mean, I want them to have more than a t-shirt, but you know, imagine right now in the Ozarks, everything fell apart and there were no more clothes. Describe how you would create a piece of, piece of clothing. Mm. Piece of clothing. Well, let's see. We would shoot a deer. And, <laughs> <There> you <go>. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you got the deer, but you know, I mean, from scratch. So I'm yeah. one of these weird people that actually think, you know, I'm not in favor of pushing civilization over. I think we have to have a gentle landing and a planned landing. And I know that we as humans are, we're, we're such stubborn, you know, I almost want to swear, you know, destructive, you know, we can be, but we're also are capable of such empathy and such deep change. And this is the opportunity of, uh, of a million years. When was the last um, global extinction event? 50 million years ago? Or 65. Uh, 65, yeah. So not, if six, you know, we have the opportunity uh, 15,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, as the megafauna were being wiped out, we can't, go, we can't go back and undo that. Right. We have the opportunity to prevent this from happening. My guest today is Jeff Gibbs. Uh, composer, uh, writer, producer, most recently uh, his documentary Planet of the Humans, which is available uh, for free on YouTube and various other platforms. Who's going to make that plan, Jeff? Well, um, who, who gets together? Uh, yeah, that's a very interesting question. What are your thoughts about... Um, you know, you've done this podcast for a while. You know, what do we know about how humans change? It feels like an, a something we don't spend enough time thinking about. We just maybe have a few assumptions. But how do, how do civilizations and societies change? Mm -hmm. uh, often by force. By force. Or by fear. Right. Which is, uh, if you study organizational development, um, you know, I think the... Uh, people that consult with corporations. Uh, when I was in college, I was thinking about going into consulting and it was uh, often talked about how corporations would not, their success would be their downfall. And so a system keeps going based on its success until it collapses because it can't realize that, that what's working so very, very, very well has a, a finite life. Right. And, and, um, that's true for individuals too. Often what's working for us becomes a self-defeating behavior because we keep trying it over and over again. So, mm -hmm. but we do know that somehow, you know, it took a crisis, but um, millions of men were recruited to go um, storm a beach against machine guns to save people they didn't know. We know that just as the attempts to prevent uh, gay marriage from to outlaw gay marriage seemed to be, be uh, happening in every state across the country, suddenly it flipped and went the other way. Mm. How did that happen? When we were kids, everybody smoked everywhere. And the feeling was, oh man, you know, you know, I began to realize I was, you know, I had asthma and it was making me sick and I was, oh, it's never gonna change. And then it changed. So. That's one thing I want to learn more about, and we want we want to put in some of our future work is um, perfect. Mm -hmm. Let's think about how change happens, and let's look mm -hmm. at the case studies, and look. Let's think about how when it doesn't happen. 
the longer you wait, one of the things I know from systems theory is the longer we wait to create change, the more violent or drastic or draconian the thing will probably be. Right now, while things are relatively intact, is a really good time. Uh, but even now, you, you can see the difficulties popping up. You know, a third of the country believes in somebody that's been just telling horrible lies and, and, is, and uh, has come a bit unmoored from reality, at least in that aspect. And as I show in the film, I mean, equal opportunity, um, you know, I think what we don't realize is that we've become unmoored from our ecological roots and been had our brains twisted into cheering for technology, which in the end, what was that solar panel for on my roof? What was my electric car for? I, I'm looking around now, you know, in my yard here, there's a sky, there's the trees, there's the birds, the grass. Are any of these things just waiting for me to get my solar panel? <laughs> are, are they waiting for me to chop them down for biofuels or biomass? You know, nature has no interest in these things. They're just a way, a desperate way to try and keep our lifestyles going in the hopes that we can pretend we're being green. When it's our lifestyle uh, writ large, that's the problem. And, and, and in fairness, I just want to be clear, you know, an average northern Michiganer that's well off probably has, is it probably have a Tyrannosaurus sized footprint compared to a Somalians. Uh, that's why we have to include consumption. And then if you t compare people like myself, uh, you know, and people that are, that are working class to Elon Musk, well, how many Elon Musks on the planet endure? <laughs> None. <laughs> you know, if we had 12 Bill Gates and Elon Musks and uh, Jeff Bezos, that's too much. You know, that's too much consumption right there. And, and too much, look at all the lives that have to be captured and subjected to a, to a not very loving way of, work, of, of living and working. You know, so that's, so I think this is all mixed in together and um, I'm all in fa favor of beginning by dismantling the billionaire class. And because people that are taken care of, and as we talk about this story of, of you know, being where we are and having enough and people that have enough tend to have fewer children, they tend to destroy things less. Mm -hmm. They tend to not need to go out and shoot up things so they can just go practice with their rifles. <laughs> um, <laughs> as I used to do when I was a kid. So mm -hmm. anyways, enough rambling. Am I covering what you wanted to, to get to? Well, we're, we haven't uh, done much talk about biomass. It, it, was, uh, it was almost a new subject for me in the movie Planet of the Humans. I mean, I knew that our local um, flagship university, University of Missouri, had at least experimented with the biomass pellets in their uh, coal-fired energy plant. But uh, it was off my radar until the movie. And I, I'd like at least to uh, get some more time in on your thoughts with biomass and how pervasive it is. Yeah. The, um, you know, I haven't done this for a few years, but um, if, you know, when I was, we were making the film, uh, and at least up until a year or two ago, um, most states, if you look at, you know, what's 
renewable energy, well, in many states, it's hydropower and biomass, which is burning trees and power plants to create electricity, sometimes heat. Biofuels, which is often forgotten about because, you know, so turning uh, plants and, as you've seen in a movie, shockingly, animals mm -hmm. into liquid fuels mm -hmm. for transportation, usually. So I learned about biomass because, they, you know, I kind of vaguely didn't think it was a fantastic idea, but they were going to um, bring um, biomass right to Traverse City, right into the neighborhood where I was living at the time. It's like, mm. what the heck? Mm -hmm. And so I began to unravel their, their lingo. Like when you say pellets, okay, you know, let's just be clear. You know, if we were, if we were going to burn people for energy, you know, we wouldn't say, well, here's a load of, of, uh, fingerlings, you know, <laughs> you yeah. know, or, 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 uh, here, here's some, you know, but we have a way of rebranding things to take the horror out of it. So we're, we're talking about trees and we're talking about one or two different things. We're talking about getting into bed with the logging industry and taking the quote unquote leftovers and turning those, you know, burning those in power plants. But most, I would say it's pretty safe to say freestanding biomass plants. If you've ever heated with wood, which I did for many, many years, it takes a lot of wood to get a fire going. And if you ever tried to burn green wood, mm -hmm. good luck with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I discovered that, you know, really this is incentivizing logging that they, they, they include a lot of euphemisms like unmerchantable timber and the, um, and then I found a warning from UN scientists that, that, that by defining biomass as carbon neutral, it was in danger of, of creating a, an entirely new round of deforestation and biodiversity destruction all across the planet. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's, and then you, then I get, when I first, I wrote the first article that I could find on biomass back in um, 2011, I think. But, you know, I just had to look it up from scratch because nobody was, the, the industry wasn't putting this out for public consumption, but you just have to look at how much carbon emissions are produced when you, you burn hardwood and then how much is produced with coal well it's a it's more with even with the hardwood hmm. but you're not talking about kiln dried maple right uh, we're talking about all these diverse trees it goes hmm. so the carbon and then all the other pollutants so most biomass plants either bur additionally burned like chipped up tires hmm. they burn fossil fuels they burn oil they burn natural gas they burn uh waste garbage the you know in michigan they were tearing down house the old houses and throwing them in these plants so they become giant incinerators and uh it's just and again this is something you know we wanted to make a, a short movie but uh i for a while i had these this line of narration it's like what what is this biomass i mean just again it's rebranded it's what is it really it's just going back to what we were doing before fossil fuels except we deforested, you know, Europe, the England invaded, invaded North America in a large part for our trees. They were out mm -hmm. of wood. <laughs> the biggest trade between the U.S. and England was of wood, lumber, and actually fuel wood. That's how precious it was to burn back to Britain. Yeah. You know, and, so. And other export areas. So we clear cut the whole East Coast several times. 
in order just, to uh, supply. Right. And that's, yeah. I went and visited the first oil well in um, Pennsylvania, Drake's well, and, uh, and now in what's now called Oil City, Pennsylvania. It was, first of all, it's instructed that it was like 60 feet deep. And now we're going, what, 6,000 feet, mm-hmm. you know, 60,000 feet, I mean, miles mm-hmm. deep. Uh, we're dredging up the tire sands, but 60 feet deep. And the whole area was deforested. And I was like, oh, my God, what did they make the steel out of? What did they use to make the steel to build the pump, to pump the oil with? They used trees to turn into charcoal. What did they power the pump with? They used trees to power the pump to pump the oil. They used trees to build the. So trees were the gateway drug to fossil fuels. And sure, a lot of it was for agriculture, but over and over again, Um, civilizations, um, the Roman Empire, um, the British Empire, uh, America, we deforested, ran through the trees, and we're turning the landscape into a degraded environment. Um, And that's around Oil City, you look at the old pictures, there's just no trees, and it's a horrible Mm -hmm. environment, not because of the oil, necessarily, it's because of the deforestation to power the oil production. Mm -hmm. Or say, today, uh, we have palm oil, and so uh, there's a higher demand for palm oil. Well, they got a clear, let's say, rainforest in uh, Sumatra area, all, wherever they're growing over there. Well, evidently, they can turn the trees into biomass and sell the biomass to Europe or whoever, and then plant their palm oil and uh, trees and, and sell their palm oil. So it seems like the eco-industrial complex uh, puts the package together for these uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah. The, um, and let's just, for the biomass, just a couple of things to be clear, um, you know, in case your um, forestry department gets, uh, or deforestry department gets angry, but, um, you know, Converting much south has been converted to tree plantations and something green may be growing, but they are not. Um, As you study biodiversity, trees growing back or being planted has absolutely almost nothing to do with this ecosystem that was there. Right. And it's the the southern U.S. is one of the most profound losses of biodiversity in the in 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 the world right now in Mm. recent decades. And the largest company that's cutting down forests and turning them in trees into wood chips, so now it's sanitized and putting them on ships to England, um, ships powered by is is in the southern U.S. That's where the largest part of that is. But Mm -hmm. you 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 kind of talk about palm oil and biomass and they are kind of interchangeable and that's what's, um, you know, because logging occurs for agri to clear land for agriculture, you know, what happens to the trees? Um, they may be just piled up and burned. They may be burned in a biomass plant. They may be um, turned into lumber. And the palm oil is also that's grown is in makeup. It's in all the products. So here's our consumption driving Right. This deforestation, and then it was piled on because Europe decided the palm oil was a clean and green biofuel. Now they've decided that it's not so clean and green, but it's still happening. 
Right. Uh, now, most environmentalists are against biomass. Bill McKibben, who we show in the film promoting it and refusing to to say he's against it to me, then suddenly started putting out op-eds saying he's against it. But all the biomass plants are still open. Mm -hmm. The largest single polluter and carbon emitter in Vermont is their biomass plant, hmm. which also has to have natural gas. Because, uh, again, trees don't burn that well, number one. And number two, um, you can't always... The supply of trees can be difficult. So, but yeah, so this biofuels is even just as big as biomass. And when they say they're against biomass, it's very tricky because they, there's many terms and many definitions. And one of the things that's not happened that they wanted to do was to build, to turn trees into liquid fuels. And to do that, you need to develop a genetically modified organism that will dissolve uh, cellulose, which is doesn't want to be dissolved, it will dissolve basically the building block of all life on earth, the building blocks called plants. Wow. So, so they're, they've been working on that, haven't succeeded to commercialize or get this to scale yet, but that's been the plan is to build these plants all around the country to yet another use of the forest, but this would be called advanced biofuels. And lest, because, because the Sierra Club wrote an editorial against it after the movie came out, that Bill McKibben you know, wrote two or three, I'm against it. Not only are the biomass plants not closing, but most of the models for the Paris Climate Agreement to get the carbon out of the atmosphere require this thing called um, biocapture um, sequestration. Bio and sequestration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you probably, it sounds like you're familiar with that. So. Basically, we would have to commercialize, industrialize, monetize, you know, um, figure out a way to count, to utilize the forests. The idea would be that you burn the carbon in biofuels or biomass, and then some other machine that takes energy pulls the carbon out of the air, and somehow you have a closed loop. <laughs> right, somehow. <laughs> it's magic. <laughs> you never mind that, you know, you know, I'll just say this, and you can ask me um, whatever you want to um to wrap up, but you know, the thing that we need to cement in our minds is that if we love humans and we love nature, we've got to figure this out. And it's not a loving thing to avoid the full weight of reality. That's not a loving thing. That's a that's a not that's an unempathic thing to do. And even if all their promises, biomass, biofuels, solar, wind, electric cars came through and they just were completely innocent to the planet and they're the opposite. They're the worst thing we could do. They're just going to keep powering what we're already doing. Mm -hmm. You know, roads are one of the most destructive things to animals on the planet. You know, a biofuel plow, you know, combine or giant um, agricultural machine or a solar powered one is still plowing up the planet. You know, so it's what we're doing that's the problem. The energy is a problem too, but it's the scale of everything we're doing. The hope in this is that, boy, how nice it is to get to know um, the life around us and to think about what the future, what kind of future we want to have. And um, it's just great to think we have an opportunity. We don't know how we're going to solve it. Um, nobody knew during, you know, I hate to use World War II, but you know, if you were joining the French resistance, you had no idea whether you were going to live. You probably weren't. Mm -hmm. But that girl on the bicycle that fought against the Nazis, 
and was then had a bullet through her head. She knew what she was called to do as a good person, whether or not she got to see the benefits of what she did. And I think that's the kind of people we need to be is to think about, um, you know, um, what kind of world are we going to wind up living in? It is going to have far fewer humans and far less consumption. Do we want to just wait unethically and just let nature smack us down and go, oh, we can't talk about that. You can't make people. We want to just wait for nature to do it. Or do we want to say, wow, I'd like to visualize a world in which nature is reborn and resplendent and revitalized. And we've all learned to live together in community. I don't know whether that's a tribal world or a small industrial world or, you know, I don't want to, you know, like a, or a small agricultural world, but I just know it will be smaller and beautiful. There was, wasn't there a book? Small is beautiful or something like that a while back. Yeah, so, something like that. I can't remember live, either. Live locally, think globally. There you go. And here we have Jeff Gibbs on Glocal News and Social Artistry. <laughs> That's how Glocal came about, you know, live locally, think globally. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks, Dick. And I look forward to um, hearing any comments that may come along and... Uh, uh, you know, anybody has any ideas about uh, what we should be doing next? Yeah, if I still have my job uh, next week, uh, I'll. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bless your heart. Uh, I'll send you some scissors. Yeah, it's been uh, great. It's been great. Looking forward to the book uh, and the next movie. Yeah, Planet of the Humans. You're going to love what we've done with the place. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know what the title is going to be. But... <laughs> we need to work on this. How do people change their minds? That's, you know, that's a real essential uh, foundational piece somewhere in your. As soon as you turn this around from, oh, my God, this is depressing to let's study the problem. Let's study ourselves. Let's learn more about ourselves. You realize how little we actually know. Yes. And then it gets exciting. Yes. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. And friends, remember, wherever you are. That is your world. Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon.